From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. And a very warm welcome to our new show, Generations, in association with Loch Lomond Whiskey, with your hosts, Andy Nichol and me, Giles Morgan, and brought to you by the Are You Not Entertained Sport Podcast Series. From the comfort of our vast Chesterfield sofas in our very hospitable drawing room, where there is a huge log fire ablaze and where we are sipping the finest Loch Lomond single malt whiskey available anywhere, Andy and I will be chatting to some of the great names from the world of sport who share a special and unique sporting bond with other members of their family. Throughout the history of sport, these generational and familial bonds can be found everywhere where insane talent emanates from the same families. From the old and young Tom Morris, the Williams sisters, the Charlton brothers, Archie Eli and Peyton Manning and the Corder sisters, the list is long and the name spectacular. Over this series, we are going to meet a few of those families to understand what it is like to have these extraordinary family connections. What were the challenges? What were the advantages? Were there any disadvantages? And all is brought to you thanks to the very good folk at Loch Lomond Whiskies who will keep our tumblers charged throughout. Well, Andy, we made it at last. We're here. This great idea of uh, speaking to the great and good about sportsmen and families and how it works. We're, we're on our way. Yeah, very excited, child. Absolutely delighted to be here. Delighted to join the Are You Not Entertained crew, and uh, especially with you, my friend, and uh, reminisce and meet some very, very exciting, interesting, and, you know, really quite fantastic people. Well, the context for, for our listeners is Andy and I sort of cut our teeth in the same industry. He was rather a talented rugby player who ended up playing rugby and captaining his country, Scotland, if you couldn't tell from his accent. I was um, really in charge of serving whiskey, literally, for another rival whiskey brand. But uh, I was a PR Johnny, I think, would be the polite way of saying it. But Andy and I set up a... Uh, we started a great relationship, which has gone on forever since in all sorts of guises. So as you do, you tend to... We, I think at the Hong Kong Sevens, we probably got quite pissed on one occasion and came up with a good idea for a podcast and here we are about to do it so and talk about getting pissed I'm being so rude here we are in this amazing um, drawing room that we found courtesy of Loch Lomond somewhere in the sort of foothills of somewhere in Scotland and um, it's got oak panelling and it's all very very nice with the log fire burning this is a metaphor everybody but you know what I mean Um, Andy do you want a drink do you want a glass of single malt Loch Lomond because that's all we've got I would love some please and uh, I'm going to take it like my dad always told me just the, the same again with water so whatever the dram the size of the dram you double that with water and that's how you should uh, have your Loch Lomond whiskey well there we go that will get poured for you very shortly by the rather 
rather lame butler that is going to be working for us over the next uh, the next few months. We'll be doing this show once a month, I think. Um, we're going to try and pull in all sorts of people. I can tell people that uh, Michael and Lewis Liner um, are, are revved up to do this show. And Michael Liner was quite a successful rugby player for Australia for a, a number of years. And his son seems to be following in some footsteps. So he seems to be wearing a different colour shirt, which must cause some conversation within the Liner household. Um, but Andy, tell us who we've got to, to kick off this series. Well, we've got just uh, a great couple of two old friends of ours, Giles. We've got Gabby and Kenny Logan, who are just uh, amazing people. They're brilliant at what they do. Gabby, obviously, BBC TV presenter, just uh, the top of her trade. Been lucky enough to work with Gabby for many, many years. And then I played with Kenny for many years back in the days of Scotland. And Kenny, since, since rugby, has set up a very successful sports marketing company in Logan Sports Marketing. So two fantastic uh, people to get us going because... Gabby is the daughter of Terry Yorth, who was the Welsh football internationalist who won 59 caps for Wales. He played for many teams, including Leeds, Coventry, Spurs. He managed teams, including Swansea, Cardiff and the Welsh national team. So it's a great one to kick off uh, this whole this family connection, Giles, and and were people inspired? Were they were they put off? Was it a challenge they found difficult to live up to the expectations of a, a family member being very successful? I wonder too. I mean, I, I want to dig into a little bit about your own career um, for this opening show. You were a very successful rugby player for Scotland and played for a, for a number of clubs. But I wonder whether other um, sport. I mean, you played with the Hastings. You certainly played with Gavin and Scott Hastings. Um, there would be. I, I don't know if you coincided with the Milne brothers. I would imagine mm. at least some of them. Yeah, were, were you very aware that there were sporting dynasties, even within within you know Sc- Scottish rugby, that perhaps seemed a little bit different when you dealt with the, the individuals playing or training with them or against them? Yeah, when you, you saw you saw just how different characters there were, different personalities there were. You know, I played yeah you know, with with uh, with Gavin Scott. I played with 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 Ian Kenny and David Milne. There was three of the three brothers, the three bears, as they were they were called. And then latterly, my career, the Sean and Rory Lamont uh, were uh, come, came along, and Max and Tom Evans. So, you know, Scotland have had a, a number of uh, f- families over the years. One of the most I, I think amazing quirk in uh, with family connections with Scottish rugby are the twins. Finn and Jim Calder, um, because both of them have won Grand Slam, a Grand Slam for Scotland. Scotland have only won three Grand Slams, 1925, 1984 and 1990. And Jim played in the 1984 Grand Slam squad and he scored a try that won the Grand Slam against France in the deciding match. And then, and then Jim played uh, for Scotland in 1990 for the Grand Slam. They're twins, but they never played together for Scotland. In fact, when, when Finn got his place in the Scotland team, he replaced his twin brother in the team which is just remarkable so you know sport and Scottish rugby history certainly is littered with people that had um, family connections I was lucky enough to have that same not as close as brother Giles my grandfather George Ritchie so my mum's dad uh, played for Scotland in 1932 and he was an amazing man. He's somebody I, I looked up to enormously because of that achievement. And uh, we were very close. Uh, he got to 
to see me play. He died in 1993, but I got my first cap in 1992 and we managed to get Grandpa to Murrayfield to, to the game. He hadn't been at Murrayfield for about four years prior to that, just through ill health and, and being a bit infirm. So we managed to get him to Murrayfield and it was just fantastic for him to, to experience almost 60 years to the day. He got his first cap against England at Twickenham in 1932 and I got my first cap against England at Murrayfield in 1992. So it was incredible coincidence and somebody that I I, uh, I tapped into his his knowledge, his understanding, although hugely different eras, obviously, um, but just something that uh, it, was, it was amazing to have a role model such as my grandpa. And I was going to ask you that, you know, to play any sport at any level, particularly international level, you've got to have a, a modicum of, uh, of talent and you've got to have a modicum of luck and you've got to have a lot of drive. Um, and there's a lot of competition. How much would you ascribe having a, a, a grandfather or a family member, but in your case, a family member, your grandfather, who had played at the very top level, inspired you as a young lad to A, take up rugby, and then B, realise you had some talent at it, that it drove you along a bit more? Do you, when you reflect back on the young Andy Nicholl, do you think he had more of a, an influence than you knew at the time even? Yeah, I do, Giles. I think it's it's all of the debate about n- nature or nurture, isn't it? Are you are you born with it, or do you do you create it? Do you build it and build on on what you've got? And uh, and I I'm very much of the of the nature. I think it's um, there was something there inside me genetically that uh, I think got handed down through from grand you know grandpa my mum to to myself. You know, it jumped a generation. Um, so um, none of my grandpa's. Uh, Offsprings um, were played international rugby. Yeah, yeah, I did. So um, definitely something there. I think there was there was definitely a nature element to it. There's then then the nurture kicks in, and that's where it is a combination. It's not nature is not going to get you to be an international rugby player. It'll give you an awful lot of help and support and good genetics and 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 it's all there. But you 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 have to work on the nurture. You have to train. So I think I from an early stage realised that um, that. I, I had a talent, and I say this, Giles. Now retrospectively, I think when you when you are that age, I just love playing rugby. I love playing football. I love playing rugby. I love swimming. I love most sports, but I, I just love playing rugby. And and I, clearly, I had a talent, but I also was lucky enough to have some great coaches. And that's where the the the, the nurture takes over from the nature in many ways. I had three mini rugby coaches in Dave's, Dave Christie, Ian Smith and Ray Newton, who coached me at Pamir Mini Rugby and Brotty Ferry in Dundee. And it was just such a wonderful introduction to, to the sport of rugby um, that I, I was always going to have a relationship with because of my family connections. But it just made it so enjoyable. And um, and then add that to the fact that I, I did have talent. Then it was, it was just um, how far you could go with this. And then I went to Dundee High School and Sandy Hutchison was my, my PE teacher throughout Dundee High School, who had a huge influence on me as an individual and as a rugby player and uh, and that's where it all it all happened when do you think you knew that you had the talent to go right to the top of, of Scottish rugby was there a moment where you either grew at a certain time or you were looking at your um, people you play rugby for or against etc was there a moment you thought actually I, I could go all the way or was it was it more just year by year you advanced um, there was an element of that year by year advancement, but it, there definitely was in in my fourth year at school. So I was fifteen years old. I got called into the Scottish schools under eighteens, which um, just didn't really happen, and and certainly hasn't 
you know, a lot since. So I ended up playing three years at Scottish schools. So, you know, when you're 15 playing against 18 year olds and playing against, you know, the Irish and the French and the English schools who are notoriously huge men, um, you know, that, that really was the, the moment where, you know, I knew that I did have a talent. Um, I wasn't very big. I was small scrum half. Uh, I don't think my mum particularly liked me playing for, against the, the big boys in, at that stage. But I think it was that point, Charles, where I realised that, um, you know, I was I was a young kid being thrown into to that environment, and I I thrived. You know, I was able I was able to to play well, and and I, I was I was playing a position um, that you had to lead. And I think so that's why scrum half is such an important part of the, of the in the game of rugby. And irrespective of your age experience, you've got to lead the people around you. You've got to to boss people around from scrum half. And I think that was the the introduction, if you like, to to senior rugby was when I was having to boss around these eighteen year olds. Now remember, remember when you're at school and you're in fourth year and you're dealing with people who are in sixth year, Giles. You know, there's a real hierarchy, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And so I had to just ignore that and just uh, express myself and and make sure I was uh, leading the team effectively. So. I think that was the point. That was the point I realised that you know I've, there's there's a there's a chance here, and uh, you know, and it was that chance to emulate my grandpa. One of the things I'm really keen to explore, explore during this series is um, we live in a in modern era. You you and I are exactly the same age, so you grew up playing rugby in the amateur era, but you finished off as a professional, and now twenty odd years later, the game of rugby has become very much more professional. Football has been professional forever cricket the same tennis the same and i'm sure as we meet different people from different different sports there'll be different answers but i wonder now and you think about your own upbringing but you have this sort of royalty in, in your grandfather as a someone who played at the top do you think and i'm sure we can discuss this with 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 kenny and gabby who i know whose children are are, are promising sports people do you think kids are being pushed too hard too early now? You see the academies, you see the the, the, the sort of relentless pursuit from schools and from um, academies and, and all sorts to try and improve and commercialise sport, which is where the riches are. Do you think it's gone too far? I think it has to be driven at a young age through enjoyment and not 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 elite. They shouldn't they shouldn't be streamed um, too early. Because I think that's where I got my love from the game of rugby was just the enjoying playing it and uh, enjoying learning the skills within it as well and and getting that good foundation from from those many rugby coaches that I mentioned. So um, I think we t- we get obsessed um, with um, seeing seeing rugby as a as a career now. And you, Charles, that's the massive difference for when I was that age because rugby was amateur, as you said. You know, um, you know, I, I was I was born in seventy one, so I started mini rugby in seventy seven. The game went professional. Yeah, I left school in '89. The game went professional in '96, and I retired 2003. So I played 14 years of senior rugby, seven as an amateur when that's all there was, and then seven as a professional when it uh, made that transition. And so, you know, we're, we're still learning. There's no doubt, Giles. The game of rugby is still learning how to be fully professional, and that means how you identify young talent and nurture it and coach it and and giving that opportunity is probably still being found out and there's still mistakes being made. There's still a lot of very good stuff happening. And I think I would say confidently in Scotland, if you're a, a talented young rugby player, boy or girl, you're going to be identified and then and then streamed. And that's good. It's what happens next. That's where there's a there's maybe a disconnect in, in Scottish rugby. But I do think that it it has to be driven by enjoyment at a younger age. And then when when things get to serious and 
you know, my, my girls, I've got two daughters. They're, they're 22 and 18 now, um, come through the whole school hockey. And they just enjoyed playing hockey. They, um, it was obvious that they they didn't have that competitive gene that you need to make a career out of it. But they just loved playing with their their mates, and that is for the vast majority of people, Giles. What sport is all about? You know, I've been very lucky, and all the guests that we will have coming on this podcast, Giles, are very lucky to have experienced international rugby, international sport. It's only a very few, very, very few chosen few get to actually experience that. And so the vast majority must just enjoy their sport because it's, that's what they get from it. Well, when we bring Kenny on, which we'll do very, very shortly, I can say as someone who worked with both of you um, at your pomp when you were playing for your beloved Scotland, I don't think anybody had a smile on their face more than Kenny Logan. Really all of the time, there was just an irresistible spirit as someone who was clearly very proud to have reached the top. But my goodness, he was someone who had enjoyment writ large every single day. You have to enjoy what you do. And when it's high pressured, um, and that's true in every walk of life, you, you'll do a much better job if you enjoy what you're doing. That's the bottom line. You know, I, I've worked in business now for, for 15 years, and there's no doubt that, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of people in personal development. And, and you see the ones that come into a one-to-one or a group session and their, their face are tripping them. Their faces are tripping themselves and, and they just don't enjoy what they do. Where you see other coming in with just sheer enjoyment of, uh, of being in a, in a team environment, whatever that team might be and they just excel and so yeah you've got to have a smile on your face there's a time to be serious of course there is but you've got to also enjoy what you do and when what you do is high pressurized it's at the top level there's a lot running in it there's a lot of scrutiny there's a lot of media analysis then um, you've got to enjoy it because if you don't, you know, it's a, it's a lonely place out there, isn't it? Well, I, I wouldn't know. I didn't get anywhere near the top. I, I, my, my sporting achievements, you can uh, list on one thumb. Anyway, enough of this, Tosh. Let's bring Kenny and Gabby Logan onto the show. Gabby and Kenny Logan, a very warm welcome to Are You Not Entertained and to Generations, our brand new show. And you are our first guest. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks, Thanks for having, having us. us. No, oh, it's Very good. Well, well, how it is? Well, you'll be more excited because we um, we're going to offer you a drink, and uh, the drink that you get offered is um, is Loch Lomond single malt whiskey. You have no choice, but it's jolly good. Um, Gabby, how do you take your whiskey? Um, very rarely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a very, very small one with lots very of small water. Small one, <laughs> small one ice, please. Done. Just one and ice cubes for me. Just one ice cube and plenty very of whiskey. Good. Plenty of whiskey for you. <laughs> So great to have Gabby and Kenny Logan with us today. Let me just give you a bit of their background. Uh, Gabby is the former uh, Commonwealth Games gymnast representing Wales in the 1990 Commonwealth Games in Auckland. Since then, obviously, she's been an amazing TV presenter, primarily with BBC and ITV, recently covering sports like athletics, football, rugby, sports personality, four Olympics games. Uh, she's absolutely top of the game, and I know that because I've been lucky enough to work a alongside her for many years on BBC. But more importantly for this programme, Gabby is the, the daughter of Terry Yorth, who won 59 caps for Wales. Uh, he played many teams and managed many teams. And this is the connection that we're going to explore here today. Alongside um, Gabby is Kenny, an old friend of mine, obviously, from Scotland Rugby Days. Kenny won 70 caps for Scotland. He played for Stirling County, where it all started, before moving down to Wasps, where he won loads of trophies and 
finished his career with Glasgow. Since retiring in 2005, Kenny set up a very successful sports marketing company, Logan Sports Marketing. They came together formally, married in 2001, and they had their twins in 2005, uh, Lois and Ruben, who will be 17 in July. Kenny and Gabby, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Gabby, I'm going to go straight into it with uh, this being the generation sponsored by Loch Lomond Whiskies and just, just probe in that relationship with your dad. And how early in your life did you know that you had a famous footballing father? Um, probably quite early, but it's mm. your norm. So you don't really think anything different of it. So I knew that that was his job. I can remember being about four, three, three years old, probably in my granny's front room. She lived about a mile from Elland Road and they would, I would obviously be there for the afternoon with my siblings while my mum was at the match and then scooping us up around six o'clock after the um, James Alexander Gordon had just delivered the, you know, the scores from the, from the day's football and that music. And then us being driven home to a babysitter because they would then be going out in the evening because they were only 27 years old with three kids. So, um, so I, I, I see that, that ritual of kind of, uh, you know, Saturdays and football and all of that was, I was aware of that very early on, but I didn't know what that meant, you know, because that's, that was just his job. And my friend, Catherine, her dad worked in a bank, you know, and my, my friend, um, Una, her dad worked, um, in, um, in the building society, you know, so everybody's dads just did different jobs. I, th I think it was probably a little bit later when he would have journalists pop around to the house or his friends were people who played football and other people found that quite interesting that it starts to become a little bit different and did that inspire you when she got into your gymnastics was you know sport obviously sporty family but what was the what was the trigger to get you into gymnastics gabby um i think it was more of a a, a sporting trigger as opposed to gymnastics specifically we were my mum was very um instrumental in that she just wanted us all to be busy with things and have lots going on and you know encouraged us all to do lots of sport so we did lots of different sports from an early age so um and we might be doing swimming gymnastics athletics um playing lots of sport in the garden i think we've got three siblings who were born within three years it's you know you've naturally got teams going on there you know and things happening and and friends and all it takes is one friend each to come around and you can play anything really so um so we were very um we were very much kind of busy kids it wasn't so much gymnastics just being sporty was was more the aim i think for my mum and that was just to be healthy and be balanced really and then just uh, what what i'm intrigued is that once you did become sporty once you and then gymnastics was maybe uh, the where you became successful did you chat father daughter about that sort of pressure or did, what in, what influence could he from his career help you with your burgeoning career that you had back then can you remember that yeah my dad didn't um quite understand why me and my sister spent so much time on gymnastics because he had um come from a very working class background in Cardiff, left home at 15 to become a footballer, trained incredibly hard, never felt perhaps quite good enough, you know, was always uh, had a, you know, mm. feeling that he was a bit of a whipping boy at Leeds because he played every position one season apart from goalkeeper. And he was, um, he was quite perplexed why we would spend so much time doing something that wasn't going to become a job because his sacrifices were all about getting himself out of the life he had into a new life. And so it, I think it wasn't really kind of apparent to him why we would do, why are we doing that sport when we couldn't, we couldn't make a living from it. Um, and so he was encouraging, you know, and as much as he wasn't going to stop us doing it, but um, he didn't quite 
kind of get, couldn't quite get his head around that because it wasn't a professional sport. Um, and then when we um, we were both up for selection for the Commonwealth Games and my sister didn't get selected, um, he was very, very proud and very proud of us representing Wales and proud that I'd represented Great Britain. But um, he never came to watch any competitions ever because he was always working on Saturdays. And at the same time, my brother was very, very successful young footballer. He was captaining Leeds City Boys, Leeds United's kind of academy um, team at the same time. And so, um, and he didn't go really watch him either because he was always, you know, my dad was always working on Saturdays. So it wasn't that he wasn't coming to watch me out of any, you know, didn't like gymnastics. He just, he had his own life sporting wise and we did, we had ours. What we had was a role model in terms of his actions. He was um, very hardworking. He was very um, disciplined. He was um, no nonsense. And, you know, he didn't, um, he just didn't tolerate kind of, if you do something, you do it well. If you put, you know, if somebody else is putting time into you coaching, you give back. Um, and so that kind of ethos and that I could see his hard work. I could see how, how much he um, put into what he did. And, and so I think that was a very important role model. You know, his, his actions were louder than his words. And that's interesting that he had the drive, which was he wants to, sport was a, a way out. For you, it was much more, what do you think your drive was uh, to be a, a, a top gymnast and athlete? I just loved doing it and wanted to be successful. Enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the process. I loved training. I loved being part of that, you know, environment, going into the gym and learning new skills. And I loved the competition. I loved building for the competitions. I really wanted to be an international um i i just wanted to get as far as i could really and um and I, yeah i didn't see it as it was never going to be a job um but that didn't matter and i suppose that's um a luxury in some ways that he didn't have he was you know because he actually played rugby as well growing up in in wales and rugby wasn't going to be a job for him in the 1960s so you know he he went down the football route so he was he was actually coached to go to a grammar school academically because they played football and the state school, uh, normal state school didn't. So he he was actually kind of from an early age, uh, somebody spotted his skills as a footballer and his his talents as a fly half were um, uh, eventually uh, kind of put to one side. Gabby, when did you know that you, you did have talent properly that compared to, was it other people as you progressed or was it, when did you know in yourself though that you could go well, right to the top? I don't think I ever felt I had talent as a gymnast. Um, I think I, I think I look back now and it was one of those, I don't know if you've read Matthew Syed's book, Bounce, but it was location. You know, he has all these kind of like um, pillars, if you like, to success. And I lived, I happened to live in a city with a brilliant coach. Um, my sister went there first. I wanted to be a tennis player. She went to the gymnastics club first. I couldn't play tennis because there were no indoor courts. So um, I had to stop playing tennis and I went along with her to the gym and we had an amazing coach. And I obviously had a bit of ability, but... I had to work really hard at it. I didn't have all the natural skills. And I think I was probably, you know, if talent ID had existed, I'd have been better suited probably to a number of sports than rhythmic gymnastics. But um, at the time I was prepared to work hard enough, you know, to kind of get where I wanted to go. And, and as I say, I had an excellent coach. You happened to be the national squad coach. So um, it was a perfect storm, I suppose. <laughs> So, Ken, if we come to you, um, I remember from uh, all these years that we've known each other that uh, you wanted to be a goalkeeper or you were a pretty good goalkeeper. Was it always, was it football or was rugby always what you wanted to do back at the very start? Um, well, funny, I listened to Gabby talking, but I never thought about being a job. I never thought that sport was my job, even when I was playing football. But I got to that stage where 
I had to make a decision, football or rugby, because we're both starting to clash. And um, I remember for the Hearts guy saying, I'm, I'm taking up rugby. And he goes, but we're going to give you a contract where you, you could be a professional footballer. I was scared of my cousins, Hamish and Ali and Kelso and John all telling me that you can't go and play football. <laughs> um, so rugby was, and also getting back to Gabby, said rugby was on my doorstep, you know, the rugby club, Stirling County was a big part of the community. So you were sort of always dragged towards it. Um, but drawn, drawn, drawn towards it. Drawn towards <laughs> it. But, you know, at the same time, get you know, this you had a good crowd. You know what Stirling was like? There's a good crowd of people around you. But the, rug, the the football was different. It was just a school thing. And hmm. once I sort of got more into the rugby club, and, and when you get to 14, you have to make sort of decisions where you're going to go and what you're going to do in the Saturday afternoon. And rugby was the, the place I wanted to go, but I never, ever thought about being professional because it wasn't professional. And, you know, I was looking at being a farmer, you know, working my dad's farm. I was never thinking about it. But I did want to play for Scotland. I was... I was thinking about pulling the blue jersey on. That was my my drive. At what age? When, when, yeah, I was going to ask, when, when did that happen for um, you? When I was nine years old, um, somebody bought me 1984 Grand Slam jersey. And I think I've still got it. I never put it on because I wanted to earn it. I was a nine. And I said to my mum, I'm, I'm going to earn, I'm going to get a real one. And she so, really sort of laughed at me. Kenny, my, my incentive my, or my inspiration was my grandpa, uh, who, 1932, who was, who was, who, who did you want to be? Who in, in 84 did you want to emulate? Who were your so, heroes? I loved Andy Irvin. Hmm. He was my hero. He's white. He's, he used to have his Puma boots on with, I think his white laces. So he was my hero and I loved, and then that, that position became quite some to me. So like obviously Gav came along and he was a bit of a hero too, but I was playing against Gav at the time. So when I did play for Scotland with Gav, it was quite weird. I remember once in the changing room, I was sitting next to him, I put my hand, it was really early on in my career, I put my hand in his thigh, and then what are you doing? I'm like, just checking, this is all real. <laughs> I was so like, lucky to play with somebody I really respected and who became like a really good, a great mate. As you well know, Giles, you know, great guy. And Andy. And, and, and Kenny, I was I was there when you walked out to the uh, for your first cap in Australia, and, and your uh, dad. yeah, and my mum and dad and, and your cousin and, and great friends and Hendy. We, we found a video that uh, that came from. It looked amazing just to see them all there. What what was that feeling like, Kenny? Can you remember that? Can you still remember the the, the, the what you felt like as you walked out there? You know, I I feel that's probably the only trip I went on. And I feel right from the minute I got picked. I can think of all the training sessions because it was such a journey. And I remember, because um, Greg and I were talking about it the other day when we went on that trip, because I was telling him, you're going to take any young players to in the summer trip because that's what happened. That's how we got a lift up. And then taking a young player, not expected to go, but goes there and sort of fronts up and suddenly, oh my God, he's, he's done all right. But when I went on that trip, I was so convinced because everybody said, like, they're just going to make the numbers up. And I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere to make the numbers up. So I was desperate to prove to people that I wasn't there to make the numbers up. And I, I think he ended up playing seven out of the eight games. And the test match was amazing because you sit in the change room and it's, you know, you put the first time you put the blue jersey, the Scotland jersey on, you might have under 18s under or A under or develop, whatever the, but you had the real, you had the real McCoy on your on your on your chest. And that was really emotional because it's something that, and, and I sort of go back because my school days were bad for me and being dyslexic and struggled. So this was my sort of like, look, I, I've done something here. And I suppose that was my drive to prove to people that I wanted to be better than, you know, people saying at school I was thick and stupid and all these sort of things. So 
I had to live with that in the back of my mind, and that was maybe driving me to on that day, I think. And Kenny, I well, well sorry, Giles, I just need to come in here because I was in a minibus um that started in Dundee for Midland schools. And we yeah. used to go around the, the different towns and schools to pick up different players. And we stopped in in Stirling to pick up a boy from Wallace High School. And he was in under 15s, not the under 18s. And this this boy came on the bus and just like, just almost dominated the space. And that was you, young Kenneth. Oh, and uh, yeah, I'm absolutely certain it was you. And, and then since then, you know, that, that confidence. But you know, as we now know, Kenny, as you've just talked about your dyslexia, and that was that was maybe a, something a counter uh, measure to 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 get around these things, but I, I do remember that, and I think that allowed you to 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 cope in those environments very very well. That was that's not that was not yesterday, Kenny, is it? No, that was thirty mm-hmm. okay. yeah. five years ago. <laughs> well, the, the the four of us have all have all been around a hell of a long time. We're all in our you know, in, in the sort of second half, let's call it that, the second half of our careers. But I wonder, you two got together, I don't know exactly what date it was, but I sort of broadly remember roughly, it was all... January, was that before 99? <laughs> there you go. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just wonder, as you two got it together, and, and Gabby, you're very much already part of the broadcasting world and, 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 and becoming a leading light within this field. Kenny, you've played a lot of times for Scotland. By that point, you, you're both pretty well known in your field and your careers have gone and on. As your relationship evolved and you got married, what was that like where you were able to kind of, did you talk about your career, and I say careers, but sport in that way? Did you find it comforting that you had that in common or was it something that you didn't really talk and Kenny's Kenny's career was his career over there and I'm just fascinated by that yeah we definitely did talk about both of our careers and um I mean it wouldn't be the kind of the minutiae of of what Kenny was doing you know I wasn't advising him on the angle of his of his boot leaving the ground when he was kicking or anything like that you know or (laughs) or uh, talking to him about his technique um and he wasn't telling me you know how to write better links but um but it was more more generalist and I think that's where my dad actually when Kenny first when we first met um I think his relationship with my dad who was still managing at the time was quite interesting because they both had that experience of playing international sport and so um I think he was quite um, yeah I think the understanding of you know when I when I first met Gabby probably when you meet somebody who's in the public eye and you're in the public eye you sort of go you get you, you wonder how it's going to be because I'm not a jealous person so I was never and you're not jealous so from what we're never battling against who's the biggest name or whatever it was always pretty it was very you do well I do well I was pat in the back support each other and we've and I think that's been one of our strengths we're not we're not sort of in each other's pockets but at the same time we understood each other's pressures and I think we're understanding when Gabby was under pressure or I was under pressure Gabby knew what it was like living with her dad and I think that was really good for me because if I was struggling sometimes she would just be letting me sort it out or she would just give me some advice because she'd seen it from her dad's point of view so that was really mm-hmm. positive and what about what what about Kenny? About with about Terry? Did you did you lean on Terry's experience? He was managing at the time. He's, you know, the, the, that that's a obviously a different sport. But you're still having to peak for a performance on any given weekend, whether it's a Saturday or Sunday or Friday night. Kenny, did you did you delve into Terry's experience to to help you? Yes, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because you know, you know, my dad died when I was 19, 20, and I lost my cousin Hamish two years before that. So they were. The, 
the two people that I would probably spoke to. My dad wouldn't give me advice. He'd listen and watch, and then he would turn around and say, have you thought about doing this? Just out of the blue. Or Hamish would be more in your face and saying, right, you need to get help, you need to think about this, and think about that. Or Terry was really good at, he obviously, he became a sort of like a little father. I didn't have that father sort of support because my dad died was, when I was so young. So he was really good at sort of just helping me. And he would always text me or phone me before a big game or you know, if I didn't play well or I played well, he was, it was the same sort of- Measured. Measured and never sort of raised. And it was a really good support for me because I think as you got older, you in sport, your brain starts thinking about all the other stuff and you, you don't, when you're young, you don't worry about anything. You just get on and play and it becomes all natural. And then you've got to live with listening to people and thinking you're a bit better than what you are sometimes or, or you're not playing as well and you're trying to get back up to that that level of performance. So he was really good at sort of being level with me. And, and straight, uh, to be honest. And Gabby, same question. You, you say you're, you're with Kenny. He's a, a current um, international and, and strong club rugby player playing for Wasps, I guess, by that stage. And, and very much the, you're there learning new sports as you're presenting more and more sports. Was it helpful to, to, be, to be with Kenny to understand maybe the mindset of a current player at that time as you're forging your own art of, of, of presenting? Yeah, I knew I knew lots of um, lots of footballers, and that's the sport that I had mainly been working in. And until uh, 2007, when uh, we had already had children by that point, I wasn't presenting rugby. I started on the BBC's Six Nations coverage then, having been with Kenny already then for eight years. So by that point, I was watching probably watching more live rugby than I was watching um, football. And um, so growing up with a with a Welsh dad who, as I mentioned before, had played rugby. Rugby was in our house, you know, and it was a sport that was. That was on the telly, but um, yeah, it wasn't one that I was I was steeped in until I met Kenny. So when it came to then those transferable skills of presenting sport, um, it was very very handy to have Kenny's opinions about, you know, what what kinds of things he wanted to hear about at half time. What kind of things did he think worked? What you know, just just hearing as a viewer almost who loved rugby, what you know, what did what voices he liked, what you know, why he liked certain things. Um, and also specific questions as well about the game that he was really, um, really good on. And and then also once I started presenting the rugby, by that point, I had loads of friends who were rugby players because I've been with Kenny for so long. So so I was then talking about people who'd come around to our house for dinner or, you know, so it was very similar to the start of my football career where I sat down in the Sky Sports studio and the first person that came in was George Graham, who hadn't come around for dinner, but who knew my dad really well. So, you know, I was then kind of going into rugby with a very similar now, obviously, when I'm doing uh, the Six Nations and, you know, and I'm doing research and I look at the birth dates of the players, you know, they <laughs> almost be my sons, um, whereas before they were literally my boyfriend. Um, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing it were it not for Kenny because I wouldn't have had I don't think the passion you know I, I loved I loved the environment I was really um, enthralled actually by the differences between rugby and football and I really loved the community and the spirit and um, I felt very at home actually considering it wasn't my home you know it rugby has a way of I think of making you feel like that um, so yeah it's been it's been a joy doing rugby. And Gabby you um, you mentioned the, the kids there um, they were born in 2005 so they're 17 in, in July it's amazing how 
how quickly that goes. Yeah. Um, so let's let's get into the generational thing here. So Lois is equestrian uh, sports, very successful. Ruben is uh, forging a career in rugby. What, what's that like as a mum? Now you've been the daughter of a of a international footballer. You've been the husband of an international rugby player. Now you're the mum of two young kids trying to find their way in a, in a sporting context. What what's that like? Um, uh, it's a real learning curve because you know when you're when you've had so much experience yourself and you've been steeped in it and and then you've been married to somebody who's been steeped in it and as you say the daughter of somebody who was steeped in it um at first we just wanted our kids to enjoy sport and enjoy lots of things i tried to make them musicians i tried to get lois to you know swing a golf club rather than enjoy horses because i wanted to do something with her and, you know, golf um and and obviously they choose their passions and they find their way um, but you know, when you know stuff and you can see things that you think you should do differently, it's very hard as a parent to bite your tongue sometimes and let them learn. And, um, and obviously the, the, the young rugby players now, especially post 16, what they're experiencing is very different to where Kenny was at 16. You know, the game is so professional and the academy setup is, it's very different to what Kenny experienced as a young boy. And like you said before, Kenny, it wasn't a job, was it? Mm. You know, it was something you just really loved and had a passion for. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's tough, actually, you know, because um, he doesn't want, Ruben doesn't want to talk to me about rugby at all. That's Kenny's job. He talks to me about schoolwork and maybe girls. And he talks to Kenny about girls. And uh, he talks to girls in, to me in a different way to you. And, and so yeah, it's, it is, it's hard. It's harder than I imagined, Andy. Actually, yeah. And Kenny, what 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 is Ruben speaking to you about? What what are his questions in the rugby context? What's he What's he asking advice from from his old man? He doesn't really ask for much advice because he thinks I know nothing. That's what happens when you get to fifteen. You got a sixteen-year-old, but he does. He's actually in the last year and a half. I can see he'll ask certain questions. The likes of. Um, not so much about the game, more about mentally thinking about what should be thinking in these parts, what should be thinking when I'm doing. Because he's moved. The big thing for Ruben is he's been a, a winger, stroke centre, six foot five, 105 kgs. He's now a back row forward. So he's had to go from 16 to being, he's only played nine, eight or nine games. So I've helped him to do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting other people to speak to him about the back row because. How much you and I would know about back row play, but we don't really know the guts of it. And I want him to speak to somebody. So I'm actually getting to speak to Brad Shields. You, talk to you. you do talk to him about things like defence. Yeah, we talk about defence and moving feet because he talks about the differences, the way he's gone from being a winger to a forward. So it's different defending. The carrying's different. He said to me the other day, he said, I find it hard just to run into a, a brick wall where I'm always looking for space to offload. So he's having to learn all that. But I was just, it was interesting even talking to Gregor about it. He said, tell him not to worry about that because that'll keep looking at that space and offloads because that's the way the game's going, not running into people. But he, he's, he's one of these guys, Ruben will just ask you really quickly, if, if I go on, Dad, give me enough. So I have to work now just giving them little snippets of things because if I give him too much, he just shuts off. So I'm sort of a bit like Gabby, I, I watch when I'm going to say it to him. I think I feel like I feel like my job with two kids who are you know very into their sport mm. is 
at home, I just want to make sure that they've good got people. good nutrition. No, but they're, they're, you know, that they're eating well. If I think that, you know, you're not getting enough sleep, I'll say that, you know, because I think all those things are really important just for their well-being because they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves, taking on all that with schoolwork and everything else. And, and that they are good people because obviously you want them to be as, you know, whatever happens with their sports life, they come through and they, you know, they're people in the world. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, 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 you know? it's also different for them. You know, you, Riven's got quite a lot, a big journey to Wasps twice a week. And you get in the car and he's got two other kids who are from school that are in the Wasp Academy. You know, fall, all three of them fall asleep for 45 minutes an hour. I mean, they're, they're tired. For a hard day at school, uh, a 16-year-old, there's loads going on and they turn up every twice a week. And they get and in the, the car and it, straight you, to weights, and it, it's just it's a it's different not, lifestyle. Not so much now. Now it's very much more balanced and and much more positive. But early on, when Ruben was say fourteen, fifteen, Kenny would come in the door, and you could tell within a second how the training session had gone. You know, or whether they'd had a big argument in the car on the way back, and um, and then I think you had to learn, didn't you, just not to say anything yeah. about the session at all, and um, and that kind of not just wait for him to ask, you know, wait for him to say, what did you think of this? And, and, and it's also when you sit with the coaches, they, they turn around and they'll say things to Ruben that we've been saying for years. And he looks and goes, because he knows that we are telling the right things, but sometimes he needs they to hear They don't want to hear it from else. you all the time. They don't want you know? to hear it from you. And I think you just got to be patient. And when you do speak to him, just try and say the but right also, thing. Also, sorry, just one more thing. I think it's really important that their value of themselves isn't totally wrapped up in that because sport as we all know has a very cruel way of you know of teaching you lessons and kicking you out and you know maybe something happens to you in life that you so you you know you have to kind of have a value of yourself or a self-esteem that's beyond that I think I think the other thing is you know they've got whatever sport you play you've got to enjoy it and that's the one thing I say to Ruben every time go and enjoy yourself and express yourself tonight enjoy it you know he went through a phase when he was because he was a big lad. He was playing up a, up a year for since he was about 14. And when he was about 15, he wasn't enjoying it. And he told me, he came when he got in the car and started crying. He was about 14, maybe 15, maybe 14. He wasn't enjoying it. And I said, well, let's stop it. Let's just get back to... And he stopped. And we went to Watson. They were like, you know, totally, this is not a problem. This is, we're just trying to move him up. And then six months later, he was ready. And that was him. Because he, and I said to him, it's, it's not a failure to say you're not ready. You're young, you're not finished yet. It was emotionally and mentally hard, hard for 14 year olds hanging out with 16 year olds. And I think I I'm I was happier that he did that than yeah. did, tried to brave it up. And yeah. you know, I think the whole thing. Well, sorry, I was just going to ask you, how much pressure for, for either of the kids, for Lois or Ruben, you, you are both pretty well known and that's what you do. That's the nature of your work. And they are sporty and they're showing hopefully great enjoyment as well as, as talent, wherever and however far they go. Do you think it's, I mean, there, is there more pressure on them? Do you think people talk? Is it hard for them or have they been able to... Um, I think there is, a, there is a visibility, isn't there? Like Lois last year won a couple of national titles at the... Um, um, uh, national show, show jumping national championships for her for her um, well for any age actually because show jumping is very um, democratic like that actually and it, which is weird because it's not democratic in other ways but anyway we won't go into the uh, <laughs> the politics of show jumping but um, she <laughs> won two national titles and the Daily Mail did something about her and put something in and 
um, she was really chuffed because sponsorship is everything in that sport. And if you can get some attention and, you know, it's really important. And then earlier this year, Ruben was named in, in a, a Scotland under 18s training squad. And my agent contacted me and she said, oh, the Daily Mail have been on, they want to. And I said, no, I don't. I, he does not need to be in a national newspaper at that age being talked about as a prospective talent because I just felt that was too much, you know, too much pressure. And it's a different thing to say what Lois had done. She achieved something. He'd just achieved a name on a sheet, you know. Um, I did tell him afterwards. He was like, oh, I can't believe that. No, but he he said that. (laughs) Then he he actually said, mum, that's the right thing. Yeah, he did, he did. And so we've we've covered so much here, and I, I really hope um, Ruben and and Lewis keep enjoying what they're doing and be very successful. And, and that doesn't mean they have to play international sport; exactly. it's uh, yeah. it's just the enjoyment side of it. But just to to sort of bring it all together, because uh, it, it's it's at the nub of what we're looking at here in this in this series of podcasts is that whole nature or nurture. So, Gabby, you as I say, your dad international sportsman, yourself international sportswoman, and your your kids are on that path. Where are you in the nurture and nature? What's uh, what do you think that is? Is it are you born with talent and and uh, or do you develop talent? What do you what do you think about that? I, I think um, if you, on balance, I think it's more nurture. Um, I think um, I think if you have um, a modicum of physical ability, there has to be a mo- you know a modicum of that, obviously, and um, and then where that goes is very much on the environment and on the um, purposefulness of the person, the motivation, their desire themselves, as well as the encouragement around them. I think you do get exceptions where somebody has such ability that all of that stuff isn't present, but somebody else spots them and takes them forwards. But um, for me, I don't know what you think, but for me, I think nurture is is more important than nature. Yeah, nurture, but you've, you've got to have it in here. Yeah, but that, that... You've got to have that, that is drive inside yeah, you. That's to, not talent. No, but you've got to... I think if you could be really talented and have no drive. You need drive inside you to, to achieve your goals. If you just think it's going to happen and you play a game of rugby and you think that that's... And you play well and you sit here and wait and think they're just going to knock on your door. It's a whole rounded person. You know, I'm a big believer, you know, it's the, you and I, we all know this, you, you buy the person and then the sport comes later. And I, I say that to Ruben and Lois, you've got to be a good person. If you're a good person, you've got a good start to life. And outside of that, your sport, your work ethic will come. You need good work ethic to be a sportsman. Now, if you haven't got good work ethic, you know, you can you can get good work ethic. You can learn that 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 um, if you're struggling with work ethic, you can learn that and become good at it. But if you haven't got the this, the the this, something inside you that just makes you want to drive to be the best, you need to have that. You can't give something up. Would that be your advice then, if you were to distill it all um, about you know, youngsters coming through? They know who you are both, and they now will have learned that you, your your kids are doing well, and you've come from a the generation. Do you think that when you distill it all down to that, is about a good a good work ethic will get you through, whether it's at the top level or work, just through a life? Good work ethic won't get you through if you have no natural ability. I mean, you know, there is there is obviously we all know, you know, kind of when you're at school as a kid. You know, I, I I wasn't the quickest, but I would always win a lot of races at sports day or I would be, you know, the person that wanted to be picked first in the netball team. Or that's been my whole life has been kind of, you know, whatever sport I've done um, at school, I wanted to represent the school. I wanted to do well. So, so there was obviously some abilities. Sports teachers wanted me involved, you know, and so there was ability. But um, and you were the same playing all. Yeah, all but, sports. I think that- but I think um, 
there are those kids who are exceptional. You know, I saw them in gymnastics who just had something and um, and they can, you know, they can, there are those, but I think they're a tiny percentage mm. um, of people that I think most, most people would, would admit to being, you know, when I, I did a program called Inside Sport on the BBC and I was lucky enough to spend whole days with amazing sports people. And post 2012, I spent a lot of time with Chris Hoy and Rebecca Adlington. And there was this common theme that kept coming through. And that was during their teenage years, there was always somebody beating them. There was always somebody beating Rebecca until she was like 14, 15. Chris Hoy said the same. There was this guy who, and um, neither of them at that age would have said to you they were going to become Olympic champions, but they had this drive. And, you know, whatever happened to those kids that beat them, we don't know. Did they lose? Did they fall off the the path because they didn't have the motivation? Um, I think when you get to that age, it has to be more than just your ability. I think also you look in Iowa, you watch a rugby game, you see these kids run around, they're unbelievable. And they're going, oh, you watch this kid. You, they never do. They, 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 they are, if you're really, really young and you're brilliant at rugby or football's slightly different, I think. But I look, see a lot of young kids and you think they're really good and they just plateau. You know, you need to have that sort of, you have to be good, but you have to be, you need your knocks, what Gabby says. And, and I think, I mean, I remember when I didn't get picked for the Scottish under 15s, I was devastated. I thought, that's it, I'm never going to play this game again. But not one of those players, Played under 18s, under 20s, because it was it, it was a period that every thought 15 was the age. Now it's actually 17, 18, where you're going to see that sort of real rise. That's a good. That's because it's a very physical. Yeah, thing. it's a but, physical development thing. Isn't but it? getting back to the, the the small bits, I always say to our kids, if you get the small bits right, the big bits come. If you go big, you're falling flat in your face. So always work on the small bits, and they become big, and that will give you a good foundation. Oh, Kenny, I wish I wish met you forty-five years ago. I, I didn't even get to the. Pla- <laughs> I didn't, didn't even get to the plateau. He <laughs> didn't, didn't listen. We didn't. Remember? <laughs> we did. We, 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 you. <laughs> well, listen. I, I, it's uh, for us this this first episode to, to talk about generations. Just to hear you both talk about your own experiences and how that's meshed together. It really is fascinating because I think sport is is always in the news. We're always hearing from people about, you know, development, it's high pressure for the kids coming through. And I think the experience you've got, if things don't work out in your sports marketing career or your broadcasting career, I think being coaches and mentors to a whole generation of, of young people, you'd absolutely crush that as well. But we uh, love that, wouldn't we, actually? <laughs> you know, kids, everybody's got a dream. And don't be scared of big that dream is. Go for it. Go for your dream. Because if you get halfway there, I'll be further than you thought you'd get. Well, I mean, you can't beat that. I, I mean, Andy, follow that. I mean, I, that, I can't. Uh, Kenny, can't. I've, not, I, I've known you about 35 years. That's the most profound thing I think you've ever, <laughs> you've ever said, Kenny. Brilliant. Now, listen, Kenny, Gab, thank you so much for giving us your time. It was really great insight. And, uh, you know, we, we, are, we are going down a slightly different path on that generational stuff. And I think what you've just uh, given us is a great insight. And it will, will be very, very interesting to, to so many people. So thank you for giving us your time. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And best of luck with your series as well. Good job. Cheers. Well, Andy, what a, I'm just fascinating. You probably got stuff out of two people that you've known for for years and years that you had no idea about. Absolutely brilliant. They're, they're, they're such good role models, aren't they? Not, and you know, they're such good parents, first of all, to, to Lewis and and Ruben. I think the advice they're giving them and that, that I think is where they have got such an advantage over maybe some of uh, Ruben's teammates who maybe haven't quite experienced what, what Kenny had or, or Gabby has. So, you know, I think it's, it's great that they're able to share that as that's the whole,
whole purpose of what we're doing here, Giles, isn't it, with this podcast, to, to bring that experience that people have and share it. Because I think there's so many good nuggets there about, you know, that, that whole nurture nature that, uh, you know, you've, you've got to have something, the drive that Kenny spoke about. That's all. That's all about nurture. That really is. And so, you know, it's uh, the the talent is one thing, but having that drive is something else. And uh, but I, I just love the some of the messages about enjoyment. It's exactly what I said, wasn't it, Giles? About you know, I I enjoyed the game at an early stage, and I never lost the love for that. And I think that's the that's what we've got to strive to. All the, co- the coaches, whatever sport it might be, you know, if you go out with the attitude that you're going to make your sessions enjoyable for the participants, then you've done your job as a coach. Well, I wonder if this is going to be a theme of the show as we talk and, and meet more family members is one, that sense of enjoyment that you started the show with, but they've absolutely echoed. But also what extraordinary role models, parents and people who understand the sporting environment can be, not just for their own offspring, but for, for the future generations. And I, I was slightly tongue in cheek, but I mean, can you imagine those two taking on and coaching high-level elite, you know, who they know, what they know, and what they've learned along the ways. It would be, um, it would be an astonishing business, and, and that maybe we could become shareholders in that, and that would be uh, even better. Um, it, all that remains to me is um, to, to thank Loch Lomond, one for the, the tumblers of whiskey that you and I rather necked. I noticed Gabby sipped hers very delicately. Kenny, straight down the hatch, you expect from a man from Sterling. Um, but to Loch Lomond Whiskey for sponsoring this show, which is... I think going to be really interesting as we wrap every show. We're just going to learn new bits of insight. Um, I also want uh, the listeners to rate and review the show for Are You Not Entertained and for Generations. And you can do that by going to the Are You Not Entertained website or wherever you get this podcast. It does matter. Uh, Twitter is always good. And Loch Lomond are very keen to give away a bottle of Loch Lomond whiskey. So if you go to their um, uh, Twitter page at Loch Lomond Malts, um, they'll be doing a competition and you can win a bottle of scotch. It's really good. About 45 quid. So it's a decent, it's a decent win. Um, and if you want to get in touch with Andy and I, you can do so on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. Andy? Uh, and my Twitter handle is at AndyNick9. At AndyNick9, a former fearsome scrum half and now broadcaster, businessman, and more importantly, a top mate. Love doing this, Andy, and look forward to the next show. Great fun. Well done, guys. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>